0: Thanks to this season's presenting sponsor, Kohler. They design innovative sinks and faucets for people who do their best work in the kitchen. Just for a change, we're starting this week's episode with the end credits. This episode of Proof is hosted by me, Kevin Pang, and a podcast is made by the following cast
1: of characters.
2: I'm Yumi Araki, the managing producer
1: I'm Terrence Johnson, and I'm the associate producer.
3: I'm Alex Curran-Cartarelli, and
4: I'm also an associate producer. I'm Vanessa Bartlett, and I'm the production intern.
0: Those names you just heard are the ones who make this show possible. They're the invisible hands that guide the episodes you hear from germ of an idea to fully formed story. If I can be honest, I don't think they get enough of the glory. So, on today's episode... We're doing something different and long overdue. We're letting our producers tell their stories. We gave them a simple prompt. Tell us about some of the best meals they've ever had. Their answers are not what you would expect. So this week on Proof from America's Test Kitchen, these are a few of our favorite meals. I'm Kevin Pang. Stick around. Hey, proof listeners, it's Kevin Pang here. As a busy podcast host and dad, I'm always looking for ways to save time in the kitchen. I recently got acquainted with this heat made graphite grill and toaster oven from the Japan based company Sengoku, and it's been a huge time saver. I don't have to wait for this oven to preheat thanks to Sengoku's amazing graphite heating technology. This grill reaches its maximum heat output in a second. Literally, it gets hot immediately. So whether it's a piece of toast, or heating up leftovers, or roasting veggies, the top and bottom heating elements evenly distribute heat, bringing my meals to perfection in half the time. Proof listeners can save 10% and get free shipping by using the code ATK10 at checkout. Just go to SengokuLA.com, that's S-E-N-G-O-K-U-L-A.com to order yours today. Hey there Proof listeners, it's Kevin here. When I'm buying stuff, I love to find a quality product that's zero waste. That's why I was happy to connect with Sasha Danjal, the founder of Safi Sana. Safi has a whole zero-waste line of delicious artisanal oils and vinegars that come in upcycled packaging and are trusted by Michelin star and James Beard award-winning chefs around the country.
5: We
6: partner with the very same chefs. We collect used wine bottles from them.
2: We bring them back to our facility and we give them new life as Safi oil and vinegar bottles for our zero-wasteline. As a mother of two and also as a business owner, I really feel that it's our responsibility as companies to be doing the heavy lifting to make it easier for consumers to be more sustainable.
0: Right now, Proof listeners will get 10% off their order when they go to SafiSana.com slash Proof. That's S-A-F-F-I S-A-A-N-A dot com slash proof. Grab some arbequina olive oil or a Michelin star tasting kit. Again, that's safisana.com slash proof. Safisana, true taste, zero waste. Meet our associate producer, Alex Curran Cardarelli. If you enjoy watching any of our shows on public television, Alex is a big reason why. That's the thing about our production crew. For every on-air host you watch or listen, there's a band of Crackerjack producers who make sure the show runs smoothly. So thanks for all the great work, Alex, on TV and on Proof. You deserve some time in your happy place. And it just so happens that's where Alex is taking us right now. Love and coffee.
3: All you need is love and coffee. That's it. <laughs> that's my mom, Deb, reading a sign outside of Red Sandwich Shop in my hometown of Salem, Massachusetts. Hi, how are you?
6: Joe. Yeah.
3: And the two of us are about to do something that I dream about a lot.
6: Can I serve you guys some coffee or
3: waters or anything? Yes, coffee, um, please. I'll have tea. Sure. Um, and if you have milk, yep. that
6: would be
5: great.
3: Thank you. Yep, that's it. Ordering food at a diner. It's one of my favorite things in the world. After college, I moved to Laos for three years to work for a film festival, and diner meals were the only thing I would get homesick for. I remember frantically finishing a film I was producing, which was set to premiere in a few days. Besides working on the film during my work hours, I snuck in emails during my Lao lessons and during my soccer games while I was on the sidelines. I even took my laptop with me into the bathroom while I was out to dinner with some friends. And when I went to bed with my ringtone volume on loud, in case one of my late-night editors needed me at three in the morning, I didn't dream of Thai beaches or Lao waterfalls. I dreamt of diners. I'm never more relaxed than when I'm sitting next to a bunch of strangers with thick Boston accents drinking crappy coffee at a diner counter. I'm aware it's not everyone's definition of an oasis. And to be honest, I've never been able to truly articulate why diners are such a sanctuary for me. Until now. We start from the very beginning, which, like most of my memories as a kid, involve my mom. My very first diner memory was at the Salem Diner in Massachusetts with my mom, Deb. I don't remember much, except for the fact that they would make me Mickey Mouse shaped pancakes. I asked my mom to help fill in the gaps.
7: Still
5: off to
3: reds? Yep, Olympic off coffee.
2: to reds. The
3: Salem Diner, which is right down the street from my parents' house, has been closed for a few years now. So we decided to go to Red Sandwich Shop instead. It's a solid substitute for a diner with all day breakfasts, an open kitchen, and a counter with retro-styled bar stools. I'd spent the previous night at my parents' house in Salem because we wanted to get to the diner as early as possible. After brushing our teeth next to each other side-by-side, side, we were out the door right on schedule. Once we were downtown, we started looking for a parking spot. I'm wondering if we should park here. Yeah. Or up there. It's a here. Okay. Other spaces over there.
6: That's a little close. Oh, there's spaces up here. You know, there's nothing worse than walking past oh the open God. spaces <laughs> that are closer
3: <laughs> we're so close I know <laughs>
6: <laughs> you know I'm gonna you know there's gonna be a spot right up there yeah we're gonna be like oh
3: for the record that first parking spot was probably less than a hundred meters away okay ready yeah
6: I think they might take credit cards now they used to be only cash. Oh, look at that space.
3: Oh, my God. I could have done so oh much my gosh, better. my right? Failed. If you couldn't tell, we're big on efficiency. But after we got settled in our booth, we ended up taking our time lingering over the menu.
6: Red's breakfast specials. Oh, yeah, that's what we want. Yeah.
3: And, you know, they got a
6: little bit fancy here in the last couple of years. Mm. They have, like, you know, like, I think you can get... Whoa. Um, these are fancy yeah you can get like avocado toast what yeah like you know that's That's not that's not diner food Diner food is like you know big ben's breakfast yeah. you know what i mean and it's like it comes with bacon and sausage yeah like and potatoes and ham <laughs> oh, you know thank you it comes with like all and the stuff eggs and, and eggs pancakes. and toast mm. and the pancakes that's the everything special yep. and and all of that is
3: like six dollars i know, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Ten minutes later, we still didn't know what we wanted. You used to get How are we doing um, the menus,
6: you guys. Oh, I know.
3: We're still looking. Sorry. Still
6: looking. One more minute. Oh, one more minute. yeah. I'm sorry. All right, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Finally, we figured out what we wanted. Spoiler alert: it didn't involve avocados.
6: All right, what am I going to get? So, two eggs comes with home fries and toast, I guess and
3: I could do- sausage links. I think that's what I'm going to get. How are you? Okay, so I'll get the sausage. Two eggs over easy, but. Toast and her fries. And okay. then what pancakes should we get?
6: I wanna just get plain. You don't like chocolate chips?
3: Oh,
6: that is heresy. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, yeah. No. <laughs> no. You want blueberry?
3: Blueberry. Compromise with blueberry? Yeah,
6: right. <laughs> I'm willing to go with blueberry.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After our orders were in, I sat there drinking my coffee. Was it good? Not particularly. It wasn't that much better than the coffee I got at home or at a cafe. If anything, it was worse. But what I love the most about diner coffee is that I can always ask for more. As someone who's always thinking about the next task, there's something about diners that calms my nagging urge to be productive. I'm not thinking about how I need to go grocery shopping or how I should finally make that dentist appointment. I'm not thinking about much at all, honestly. I'm just sitting in a diner booth, talking with the person across from me. As my mom and I relish in the no worries of diner time, my mom tells me a familiar story.
6: There was this (laughs) massive snowstorm in April.
0: April 1st, 1997, the April Fool's Day blizzard dumped heavy rain, sleet, and snow from Maryland to Maine, leaving hundreds of thousands without power and as much as three feet of snow on the ground.
6: And we had to dig ourselves out so we could get to the, our shovels, and then Mom came out with you, and, yeah, I don't know, she trips, and she lands with oh. you in all this snow. <laughs> and we're laughing, and Mom...
3: I'd heard this and, story you know, before. You know, the her one her right about right. my mom, Paula, carrying me and falling in the snow, and me being so bundled up that my arms and legs stuck straight out. But it was news to me that the reason we were leaving the house was to go to the diner.
6: Yeah, because they were open. That's where all the plows used to meet. So we fit you in this little baby sled. It was yellow. It was like a bucket sled. Oh, my God. And we put twine on it, you know, like little like jute rope. Yeah. Um, and we put you in it, and we were pulling you—like, there were no cars. And we were just pulling you in the semi-plowed street. And so there we were, us and the plow drivers.
3: <laughs> April 1st, 1997, was a Tuesday. If this storm happened now in 2022, my parents probably would have just worked from home. But back then, there was no cloud storage to access virtual documents— no Zoom meetings or FaceTime happy hours. There was no choice but to cancel your plans and instead play board games, build forts, go sledding. It was a choose your own adventure kind of day. And if you're like my parents, you decided to take that adventure to the local diner. Just then, sure, our food arrived.
6: You were oh my gosh, so fast! Yeah, yes. thank, thank you. Nice. You have need some... more coffee? Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Look at it. I know. Look at all this food. Oh my god. We could have like split this and the pancakes come. The pancakes are gonna be like. I can't eat. It's like cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Do you remember that book? It's the pancakes are gonna be like enough to cover a house. <laughs> Right. You pancake. We'll be right off with your Okay, great, great. thank, thank you. you. Oh good, she only said pancake, maybe it's only going to be one. Oh God, it's I know. so much food. Look at your
3: over-easy eggs, they're ginormous. I have three sausage patties. I have four <laughs> links. <laughs> it was so much food. I ordered another cup of coffee. I knew I'd have to pace myself and take breaks, because let me tell you, diner meals are a marathon, not a sprint. I asked my mom, Deb, to talk about my first memories at the diner from when I was about four years old and eating Mickey Mouse pancakes. She explained how my mom, Paula, who's a nurse, would sometimes have to pick up weekend shifts. And when that happened, it would be up to my mom, Deb, to entertain me. To get through the early days of raising me, my mom took me to the library, the museum, Disney on Ice, Arthur meet and greets, If there was any sort of children's event going on nearby, we'd be there. But the best part, for me at least, was that these excursions never took up the full day. There was always time to fit in a stop at the grocery store so I could wave hello to my lobster friends in the fresh seafood tanks or grab a SpongeBob-shaped treat from the ice cream truck. When it was summer, I'd often go to bed when the sun was still out, making the days feel truly endless. And another way we filled up the days was, you guessed it, going to the diner. You were usually up at like 5.30 (laughs) a.m.
6: or 6 a.m. So we'd have to like do things kind of on the early side. I had to choose a place where, you know, they were Mm kid-friendly. And, you know, you didn't want to spend a fortune on like a fancy meal.
3: Right. I remember sitting in the little teal and silver booth and drawing on napkins and watching people come in and out, a bell jingling with each door slam. I remember all the sweet and savory smells of syrup and sausage on the verge of burning, the sounds of frying and coffee pouring, and thick Boston accents complaining about a Red Sox loss. There was so much movement, color, and sound all happening inside this tiny diner. But when my brothers were born, we stopped going to the diner.
6: Yeah, it's hard with, like, three kids. You know, that's why you don't ever really see, like, one parent with three kids out at a restaurant.
3: I love my brothers. But their arrival changed things in our family. There was now triple the number of mouths to feed and triple the number of butts to get into car seats. Even if they were the easiest babies in the world, which they weren't, it was just more difficult to get from one place to another. My first memory of going out to a restaurant with my brothers is still one that haunts me. Remember in New York? Oh my God, the Carnegie Deli. I'll never forget. Yeah, that was a little, that was a little rough.
6: Yeah, that was my bad.
3: So for some reason, my mom thought it would be a great idea to bring a family of twin infants and a six-year-old to a famous, crowded New York deli. My brothers started crying hysterically the moment we walked in. Each of my parents were holding one brother in one arm and using their free hand to shove food into their mouths. The waitress rolled her eyes and the people around us glared at us. It was chaos. I felt guilty for ruining the peace and upset that I had no control over the situation. So I sat there and tapped my feet, clenched my fists, furrowed my eyebrows, as if somehow these small, anxious movements would speed up time. I didn't want the day to last forever anymore. I wanted it over. When my brothers were born, it was only the beginning of my days feeling less and less my own. The days became filled with school, soccer, piano, babysitting. It wasn't until I had a car that I would go to diners again, but this time with friends instead of my parents. And actually— this meal with my mom, right now, is probably the first time the two of us had gone out to a diner since my only child years, which, at this point, is now 20 years ago. Life just got... busy. What do you think of the pancake?
6: It's really good. It's fluffy.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: and It's thick. It's very thick, yeah. You just don't be shy with the syrup.
3: Yeah, I know. I have to keep adding the syrup.
6: Yeah. quite right. That's quite all right. Oh, <laughs> uh, you got the blueberries over there. hmm Nice. You got some too, right? Yeah. They're coming up. Mm-hmm. we have so much, like, left over. Yeah, I fun. know, right? Do we bring it home? Like, what do we do? I never get a dog bag with breakfast.
3: I had a plan for this. I made sure we'd have ample time to digest and take another stab at the pancakes. Even though they weren't much to write home about without the syrup, I was thrilled that we still had more to eat because this meant we could stay longer. Eventually, after some picking and prodding, it was almost time to go. One more sip of coffee. Oh yeah, take your time. And that was it. My mom said, take your time. That's what I love so much about diners. It's not really about the food, but it has everything to do with the time it takes to eat it. Diners evoke that feeling of waking up at six in the morning and going to get breakfast with my mom and having the whole day still ahead of us. The intimidating portion sizes and unlimited coffee refills encourage us to stick around and stay a while. There's no rush. There's nowhere to be. Our day is whatever we want it to be. And we want it to start at a long, lazy breakfast at the diner. But once I finished my last bit of coffee, we had jobs to return to. Thank you so much. As we drove home, I decided that I needed to carve out more diner time in my life. It's one of the few times I get to choose how I spend my time and who I get to spend it with. And I'm glad to say that I spent this morning with my mom.
6: All right, all right, baby doll. All right, thank
3: you mom. Love you.
6: That was great. That was fun. Yeah, reminiscing about all kinds of stuff.
3: Hopefully, down the line, I won't need a snowstorm to go to the diner. It will just be how I start my weekends with a big breakfast combo and all the time in the world.
0: One of the real treats this summer is welcoming Vanessa Bartlett as our production intern. She's been a real welcome presence in our office and brings a lot of smart ideas. Vanessa is a senior studying journalism at Boston University. And if this story is any indication, you'll be hearing a lot from Vanessa in the years to come.
4: It was May of my senior year in high school, and I felt like I was on the brink of finally going out and doing what I was supposed to be doing. Learning who I was meant to be, coming of age, yada yada. Breakfast club fist pump, yay for the class of 2019. But in all seriousness, graduation was a couple weeks away, and I was actually excited to be celebrating all my accomplishments. Growing up, I had always done things myself, like signing up for soccer teams and setting up my own doctor's appointments. I even made my own birthday cakes. And I was always looking after my five younger siblings. So for graduation, I wanted my family to do something for me. Not even do, per se, but just to have someone in my life to see me would be enough. So one evening after dinner, I mustered the courage to ask my family— We were in the kitchen, me, my mom, my dad. My siblings had cleared the area, hoping to avoid doing any chores. Hey, would you guys want to come to my graduation? My father didn't even hesitate. I have a mortgage to pay, Vanessa. Well, no arguing with that. My mother was more apologetic. My youngest sister was graduating from preschool on the same day. And, since mom doesn't drive, there's no way she could really get to my graduation from my sister's school. I get it. My parents worked long days, and with six kids including me to look after, they were never not busy. My dad repairs string instruments for a living. The technical term for this profession is luthier. He's a skilled woodworker and spends his days carefully sticking injured violins, violas, cellos, and basses back together. He drives three hours round-trip every day to get to work. My mother is a classically trained opera singer and piano tuner, but she spends her days at a Catholic K-8 school working as a custodian. She doesn't work for pay, but she does it so that my three youngest siblings can attend school there for free. Now, I wondered if I should bother going to the ceremony at all. The whole point of grad ceremonies is to celebrate with the people who you can rely on to say, we're so proud of you and great job. I didn't think I had it in me to sit and watch all my friends and their families on this special day. I didn't just show up to school every day for four years. I was the first chair violin in the orchestra. I had played a varsity sport. I got good grades, awards, scholarships, and I was about to go off to a great university with a full ride. As I headed off to college, wasn't there anyone who would want to celebrate with me? Like a sad lightning bolt, the idea occurred to me. What about my grandparents? Could they come to my graduation? I sent my grandma a text. English isn't her first language, so I agonized over the wording, making sure not to use any long words, but also trying not to sound rude. Dear Grandma, I hope you are doing well. I will graduate from high school in a few weeks. Would you like to come to my graduation ceremony? For a second, I wondered if I was being desperate or selfish. My grandparents, Hiroko and Manabu Iwasa, live in Japan. That's halfway around the world from my home in Connecticut. They're getting older and less inclined to get on long flights to visit their American grandkids. To my surprise, she said yes. She and my grandpa booked tickets without hesitating. Even with a language barrier between us, I had always known that my grandparents were cheering for me from the stands. I remember frantically cleaning the whole house, top to bottom, in anticipation of their arrival. I wanted them to feel comfortable in our messy home. When they arrived, they gave me a big hug and commented on the smell of disinfectant. Maybe I went a little overboard, but it was a special occasion for me. In no time, it felt like my grandparents had always been there. The night before my graduation, we ate curry. To judge it up a little bit, my mom sent me down to the corner store to buy a couple mangoes to serve on the side. That meal was unspeakably loud. My siblings, excited about my grandparents being there, were pulling out all the stops. They were either trying to brag to grandma about their grades or getting my grandpa to bend beer caps into clamshell shapes with just his thumb and forefinger. I decided it was best not to participate in this competition. Curry is one of the foods my mom can make without drowning it in garlic and sage, and I was more than happy to eat the spicy broth in silence. My siblings needed a chance to connect with my grandparents. I could wait. I talked about that time with my grandma via Zoom recently. Our conversation quickly became less about a nice visit or my graduation, and more about parenting.
7: Maybe I was not a good parent. Yeah.
4: I talked to her via Zoom, so the recording's a little tough to make out. My grandma told me that when she was growing up, her parents were always busy. They didn't really care what she did. but she still felt her parents' love for her. It seems like there's a pattern here on my mom's side. My grandmother was raised exactly like me. Hands off to the max, little supervision, and a lot of time to pursue your own interests. It might have worked out for us, but my grandma acknowledged that there are times when the line between independence and negligence can be blurry. My grandma told me that she sometimes wishes she had done things differently. She told me about a conversation she had with my uncle Taizo when he was an adult. He remembered a time when he had to go by himself to an ear doctor appointment across the city.
7: He was very small age, but he went to the ear clinic by himself, took a bus and changed to train
4: <laughs> to next town. Uncle Taizo took a bus and transferred to a train all by himself. He said,
7: why you didn't took me? (laughs) He said, I'm
4: very sorry. It reminded me of the times when I would have to make my own birthday cake. My birthday falls uncomfortably close to Christmas. One year, I got a $20 gift card from a discount retailer called Ocean State Job Lot. New Englanders will know, they sell everything for cheap. We would forego a store-bought cake so my parents could buy presents for my siblings. One year, I attempted a tort. It fell apart in the oven, but it tasted pretty good and the texture was right. My best work was a simple lemon bundt cake with a light sugary glaze on top. My mom's siblings are taking more of a helicopter parent approach with their kids now, which I can't say I envy. I told my grandma that I didn't think it was such a bad thing to give kids freedom. Maybe I was acknowledging that I came out of my childhood a little stronger because I had to do so much on my own. I don't blame my parents for not being there. It's hard to scrape by, and it's a miracle to do it with six kids. It's June 2019, my grandparents and I waited on the curb outside my house for a taxi to take us to my high school. I had to get there early. The humidity outside was pretty high for mid-morning. Not great for gowns, definitely not great for the people who had to sit and watch us. My grandparents sat in the oppressive heat as all 500 of us slowly filled out the rows of folding chairs on the football field. We sat through an unbearably long speech from a student speaker about how all the roads in your life are connected. Me, I just wanted to be on the road back home. Finally, they were calling names. And as I walked the stage and collected my diploma, I felt my grandparents' eyes on me. I smiled and waved to the crowd. When the last of my classmates stepped off the stage, I walked across the football field to find my grandparents. There was a sea of people, so I had to weave through the crowd of families greeting their graduates. After some jostling, I found my grandparents, and they wrapped me in a big, sweaty hug. My grandma told me she could tell I had worked hard to get where I was. You are a very tough girl. (laughs) Tough. Yeah. They congratulated me and promised that the next day we would do something special to celebrate. The next day, we took a Greyhound bus from Connecticut into Boston. I showed my grandparents around Boston University's campus, which would become my home in a few short months. Afterwards, my grandparents insisted that we visit Chinatown. They had been to Boston whenever they traveled to the U.S. to visit my family, and they knew the city way better than I did. I was happy to follow them as they quickly picked their way through crowded tea stations. Soon, we resurfaced at Downtown Crossing, and my grandma led us to a restaurant. Fa Pasteur. At the time, I thought she knew where she was headed. After that time, they have a Japanese menu. She went in because they happened to have Japanese translations on their menu. So it was a random but perfect choice. The exterior of the restaurant is plain looking, but the muted maroon sign above the door welcomes weary travelers to sit, rest, and be rejuvenated. The waiter seats us at a table by the door. It was sunny, and pho pastor was pretty busy that day. We placed our order. I picked one of the first things listed on the menu, chicken pho. My grandparents ordered seafood soup, vermicelli, and fresh rolls stuffed with shrimp and veggies. It wasn't long before a steaming hot bowl was carefully placed in front of me. They always serve the pho in a simple white bowl. The bean sprouts, lime chunk, and basil are on a separate plate. Before diving into her own food, my grandma showed me how she likes to eat pho. You use the chopsticks to fish out a bite's worth of noodles, chicken, and anything else that might be floating in the soup. Place them delicately into that blue and white spoon. Then you dip the spoon back into the bowl, letting the broth flood in. The perfect bite, every time. I fished out some noodles and a piece of chicken, like my grandma showed me, and took my first sip of broth. The pho warmed me up from the inside out like nothing else ever has. My grandmother's slow, methodical pho eating strategy allowed me to take my time and really savor the food. It's a simple dish, but it contains multitudes, and in my case, a healthy dose of hot sauce. The broth is so savory and aromatic. The noodles are soft and chewy. The basil and bean sprouts add a punch of flavor and crunchiness. Across from me, my grandparents are chowing down on their food. My grandparents asked me questions about my school, and we discussed journalism for a while. At that time, I was a more overtly anxious person, so when I brought up my plan to major in journalism, people often looked surprised. One career advisor even went as far as to tell me that I should have a backup plan. But none of this seemed to register with my grandparents.
7: We believe. Last time, we thought you were on the path of your choice, and I was very impressed.
4: The meal was everything I hadn't even known I needed. That bowl of pho was for me. I didn't have to finish and disappear. I could linger. And my grandparents wanted to linger with me. It's clear now that my grandmother especially felt like she wanted to communicate something that she might not be able to capture in her English. Instead, we slurped up noodles and chatted about chopstick techniques. Our conversation was sporadic and leisurely. I didn't want to push my grandmother too hard to translate for herself and for grandpa. And besides... The absence of the typical dinner noise was a joy all by itself. Now I'm entering my senior year of college and another graduation ceremony is on the horizon. Since that first trip, I've gone to Fa Pastor many, many times. Before a concert, after a long day at a protest, hungover, on dates, with a gaggle of friends. I recommend it to anyone who asks and to anyone who didn't ask. That classic bowl of chicken pho is always there to welcome me back. My grandma told me that she and grandpa probably won't be able to make it to my college graduation. But I'm not actually worried. Almost four years later, all I care about is sharing more delicious food with the people that I love, after all the dust has settled. And studying Japanese.
7: We are getting older, older, every day. You should study Japanese food.
4: I'll get on it right away, Grandma. Right after I slurp up the last of this broth.
0: After the break, an unforgettable dish in Mississippi and a nostalgic restaurant in the suburbs of Tokyo. Eating great food is one thing, The prep and cleanup afterwards is, well, something else. That's where Kohler comes in. When prepping for recipes, you can tell the voice-controlled faucets to dispense measured amounts of water. Kohler's faucets also feature a sweep spray to quickly get any gunk off of your dishes. Even if your hands are messy, you can wave on and off the touchless faucets. That way, you can clean with ease. Visit Kohler.com to learn more. Hey friends, it's Kevin Pang. In past seasons of Proof Ads, we've interviewed some of the engineers that make OXO's amazing kitchen tools. But did you know that OXO also makes cookware? Their new carbon steel and stainless steel offerings mean there's a perfect pan for every dish in your repertoire. AT Case Picks for non-stick pans just got upgraded. The OXO Nonstick Pro is now also available in ceramic. And their triply stainless steel pots and pans have amazing heat conductivity, which is great for fast and even cooking. They're also stain resistant, which keeps them looking new. Plus, they're oven safe, which is perfect when I'm making my favorite roast chicken. Find your tools at Oxo.com. Right now, Oxo is offering a special discount for proof listeners. Just use the code ATK15 for 15% off on Oxo.com. That's oxo.com. Oxo, better guaranteed. A lot of companies we know and love began as a shared family dream. That origin story is similar for the Veroni family. You know the one, they've been making authentic Italian charcuterie since 1925. The five Veroni brothers made it their mission to produce high quality charcuterie from their family's roots in a small town in the Emilia Romagna region. It's the home of beloved meats like Italian prosciutto, mortadella, and other great salamis. Today, the fourth generation of Veronis are producing genuine Italian cured meats and sharing them with the world. For more information on the Veroni family's recipes, artisanal techniques, and meats, visit Veroni.com. That's V E R O N I.com. So I got to tell you about our associate producer, Terrence Johnson. First of all, it's TJ. Second, he is the best dresser in the office. Retire the trophy. And I've not witnessed this in person, but I hear that TJ can also destroy everyone at karaoke. One day when we see TJ on American Idol, you'll get to say, I knew him when. This is TJ's origin story.
1: My name is TJ. Some people know me as Terrence, but for my friends and family back home in Mississippi, my name is Buck. Buck was a nickname given to me by my family at an early age, and it has stuck. When I'm back home in Sugarlock, Mississippi, Buck is the name that is in play. I haven't heard anyone call me by that name in over a year. That's because this is the longest I've been away from home. I usually see my family twice a year at minimum. But what can I say? It's been a crazy couple of years. On my way home, my flight was delayed. Twice. My first connecting flight from Boston to Washington, D.C. was good to go. But things changed from D.C. to Jackson, Mississippi. Flights were canceled. The delays heightened my anticipation and my nerves about going home. I love Mississippi, but it was not the most welcoming environment for a black gay boy. I was surrounded by tough, masculine, heterosexual men the majority of my life. I was bullied all throughout my life, called the F word, made fun of, not picked on teams at school. Even some of my extended family taunted me about my gayness. My immediate family, however, was always a supportive presence. They know me differently more intimately. They see me sometimes in ways that I cannot and do not see myself. I'm a lot like my mom, Angela. She's the handler, the CEO, if you will. My mom has always loved through leading, sharp, intentional, beautiful. And I get a lot of my fire, my passion for life, and my gift of gab from my dad, George. My sister Shay is my best friend, and her daughter Aria is the greatest thing that has ever happened to us. There's nothing I value more in life than being a gunkle. You know, a gay uncle. So not seeing my family when we all have experienced different types of trials over the past two years was really difficult for me. That's why I was so annoyed during my layovers. I had something special planned when I got home. We had plans to recreate one of my favorite dishes that Big Ma, my mom's grandma, used to make Big Ma's blackberry pie. The world knew her as Evelina Bryant. Everyone in Sugarlock knew who she was. She was the matriarch of our family, the person everyone went to for love, including me. And Big Ma could cook, she made Biscuits, chicken and dumplings, and sweet potato pie. But the most legendary of all, it was her blackberry pie. As I boarded the plane, I began reminiscing on the flavors, the taste, and the smell. This sweet pie reminded me of carefree summers where my cousins and I ran around barefoot in Big Mom's front yard. I've never seen a pie like this, And the only place I've ever eaten it is in Sugarlock, Mississippi. It's a deep purple concoction with flour dumplings bobbing around with no top, and it's cooked on the stovetop. I know for a lot of people, it's weird to think of this as a pie because there's no top. When we told one of my aunts we were making this pie, she gave us instructions on how to add a top. But no, there's just the dumplings and the juices of the berries. Because when Big Ma made it, that was all we needed. Big Ma always had her own style of cooking. Where I'm from, matriarchs like Big Ma are important to Black families. I think she lived a proud, happy life of 94 years. Even though I loved every moment with her, that didn't make her passing any less painful. I remember studying with friends in the library on my high school campus when I got the call that we lost Big Ma. I ran out of the building, crying uncontrollably. I spent that night crying alone in the bathroom. My family came the next day to pick me up. Big Ma was gone. I've yearned for Big Ma's blackberry pie for years. But trying to cook the pie myself just felt too daunting. Maybe because in making the pie, I had to face the fact that I was still yearning for her. Ah! (laughs) I'm so happy to see you. I'm so cute. Thank you for picking me up. Three days and a plane ride later, I finally made it to Mississippi. I made it home. As I left the airport with my sister, something felt different about being here. Something felt foreign. It scared me a little. This was the first time I felt like a visitor in my own home. In the past year, I worked so hard on loving myself and owning my queerness. And because of that, This time, when I came home, very few things reflected that love back to me. Walking through the airport, I could feel people just staring at me. These stares felt different from the softer ones I got at other airports. For a moment, the thought of shrinking myself ran through my head again. But I wasn't going to do that this time. So, we sashayed away from the airport and went to my sister's house. Mm -hmm. Waking up in my sister's house to her and my niece, Aria, is magical to me. When we are all together, we really cherish those moments, especially my mom. We talked later at her house.
8: I can't express it. I'm overjoyed. I'm very happy. (laughs) I don't want to take another over a year for you to come home, you know. I hate that um, I haven't been able to get out there, but you know. Sometimes things come up, but I love you, baby. I love my baby. you my boy. You know that. And I'm satisfied when you're here with me. I'll put it like that. It gives me satisfaction when you are here with me because I miss you. I love you. And you know, if it was up to me, I'd probably lock you in the trunk and keep you here. But I can't do that. I can't do that. I got to let you live your life a little bit, I guess. Mm-hmm.
1: A few days passed at my sister's house and we were finally ready to face the challenge and make Big Mom's blackberry pie, nerves and all. The idea of recreating one of Big Mom's most prolific dishes was exciting, yet intimidating. I just wanted to get it perfect. I wanted it to be something she would be proud of. I know that's what my sister wanted too. The thing about cooking soul food is it's less about exact measurements as it is about gut feeling, which makes recreating the food I grew up with that much harder to make, especially since cooking isn't my forte. Okay, so we're starting out with two
5: cups of beers. Okay, two cups of beers. gonna
1: add two cups of water. Let's see if gonna be
5: enough. You said two cups of
1: water? Four out oh, of three. All right. oh. I mean, everything said is, is desired. So, <laughs> so basically okay. enough to cover the beers, basically. right? For the most part. Yeah,
5: for the most part.
1: One thing I know about my sister and my mom is that they do not like anyone in their kitchens while they cook. So my strength in this scenario was being a culinary assistant. Growing up, I would do the small jobs in the kitchen like grabbing flour, measuring out amounts of oil, and my favorite job, taste testing. I let my sister Shay lead the way, like she has done for most of our lives.
5: I'm going to start off with a half cup of sugar, just because this is a small pie. We're not making a really big one.
1: Okay, half cup of sugar.
5: Yeah, and we all start we're going to taste it. Once I, everything gets in there, come to a boil. We'll taste it for flavor and see if we need to add anything else.
1: When it comes to my sister, she loves to cook. And she reminds me a lot of Big Ma. When we were all growing up together, she wasn't the oldest among all the cousins. But she was the caretaker, the leader, the matriarch. Whether we want to admit it or not, all of us looked up to her in one way or another, just as so many people looked up to Big Ma. And when my sister cooks, I know Big Ma is happy.
5: It's my place of solace. Like, everything is pushed out, and I'm just focusing on my food. I'm listening to the way my chicken fry while I'm frying, and I'm listening to how my boil are going. I know I'm smelling it. I'm embracing the moment when I'm in that kitchen. Every sound, every smell, I feel it, I hear it. And so I'm projecting my love back into it.
1: We added vanilla, cinnamon, and other aromatics to the berries in a boiler and let the berries cook through. And with each pinch of seasoning, the smell of Big Ma's blackberry pie became more and more real the aroma of the berries just filled the house. I hadn't smelled or tasted this pie in almost a decade. And as the scent filled the house, it brought me back. Big Ma taught me how to play two-man spades. Big Ma let me sleep in as much as I wanted. And Big Ma was always a part of my world, until she wasn't. And for my sister, sometimes those positive memories can cause other emotions to rise up as well.
5: I don't always like to relive those moments, even though they're really good. It's like once they're gone, I feel a little bit of that pain. So I haven't really cooked this in such a long time. Like, I haven't even attempted or anything. And so it's bringing up a lot of emotions because now I'm thinking about Big Mama and... She would have something to say right now.
1: (laughs) After adding all the ingredients to the berries in a saucepan, we let them cook and reduce a little. The boiled berries created a velvety smooth purple concoction. After the blackberries dissolved into a sweet nectar, we took out most of the berries. Big Ma didn't include a lot of berries in her pie, but we left a couple in. We were making it our own. We reminisced about Big Mom's cooking while making the pie.
5: First off, let's talk about how Big Mama cooked, right? right? Now you know Big Mom had got old, so she wasn't standing up in no kitchen. She'd move her kitchen chair over by the stove, sit down, gap her legs, and let the dress fall through. Put that bowl in her lap, and it was on. <laughs> <laughs> Everything Big Mama cooked was good, though. Outside of her dumplings and her biscuits were, like, number one. Number one. Wasn't nothing like waking up to a Big Mama with some hot biscuits. You get them in the bowl, you crush them up, and then you pour that blackburn syrup on it. Because that's what she liked. <laughs> and it was delicious.
1: Ask my sister what her favorite thing to eat of Big Mom's was, her biscuits. Ask my mom, she'd say Big Mom's chicken and dumplings. As for me, it was always the blackberry pie. On many of the wire fences that surrounded different crop fields that my dad's family owned, blackberries grew naturally, juicy, deep, purple blackberries, Sweating in that Mississippi summer heat was sweetened just a little with these blessed berries. I loved walking into Big Ma's house and being greeted with the smell of her pie. I always asked if I could have some first, and of course, she'd say yes. Straight to the kitchen I went, no detours. The last step involved making the dough for the dumplings. My sister began kneading the dough in a bowl.
5: I am mixing the flour and the grease. Yeah, that's sharp,
1: man. That's why Big Mahan set that chair down. After a lot of kneading and using a bit of elbow grease, the dough was prepared. It was now time to break off the dough into one-inch pieces and drop them into the blackberry sauce to cook through. They danced and bobbed around in the deep purple sea of sauce, hitting only a few berries as everything cooked through. It was really happening. The entire time, my sister was really quiet, listening to the food, listening to the pots and pans, focused on trying to guide me with the correct measurements. I was doing my best to actively participate and be helpful and not get in the way.
5: It's very, very bittersweet. It's awesome and amazing that we get to do this in remembrance of Big Mom. This is bringing out all the feelings of me. So it's really sad. You know, Big Mom and I sitting here talking. (laughs) Telling us what to do, you know, and just seeing something that she loved and she loved making for us, you know, not being here to do it. That's the sad part.
1: Being around Big Mom was a huge part of how we grew up, how we understood the world and how we understood each other through her and her way of living life. Even the smallest of things provided insight in unimaginable ways. Being in her very presence was home. My mom remembers it this way.
8: I would go up there every day. We play cards. You know, her and her sister made Lily and then Joseph and Shay and me, and we sit around and they would cook fish or chicken or whatever we wanted to eat. And, you know, we sit out down the porch a lot and just talk and you know, Big Mama, like, it's 100 degrees here now, so she would have on, like, a little jacket. Because <laughs> she stayed cold. I guess I'm emotional. Maybe I miss her. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, you know, she, <laughs> she practically took care of Shay, mm-hmm. you know. And you were her snowball. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> she loved y'all so much, you know.
1: We only waited another 15 minutes before it was time to finally taste this pie. The entire house smelled like sweet Mississippi summer blackberries. Looking into the boiler, the dark purple hue of the pie was beautiful, so pretty, smooth, and even. I grabbed a spoon and a plate as soon as I could. This was the first time I got to be a part of making it. And if nothing else, I wanted it to be something Evelina Bryant would be proud of. As the self-proclaimed number one taste tester in the family, this was the moment. The pie was... mushy. Instead of dumplings, we had more of a porridge. I guess we didn't let the dumplings cook all the way through before we began to stir them in with the blackberries... Had we let them cook through, I think we would have hit it out the park. But the flavor of the pie was almost exactly what I remember it tasting like. The vanilla, the nutmeg, and most of all, the blackberries. Even though the consistency was not the same, the essence of the pie was. We did not get it all the way right. And to be honest even if we had gotten the dumplings to cook all the way through, it still wouldn't have been Big Mom's. Because beyond all the amazing things she cooked for us, she loved us beyond her food. She loved us with all of her being. We are a part of her. My mom sees her in us.
8: Y'all love to joke and play around because she loved to joke and play around. And the fact that... Yeah, I have a loving spirit as well. You know, you're always trying to look out for the other person, you know what I'm saying? Trying to do something to put a smile on somebody's face. And that's a rare quality in a lot of people. Because most people don't care about putting a smile on your face. You know, they just want what they can get out of you and that's there.
1: My sister and I were so worried about getting the pie right. But in the end, it didn't need to be perfect. It couldn't be. Because the only person who could make Big Mom's pie was Big Mom. But this was more important. We were cooking in remembrance of her.
5: There are certain things that I've experienced throughout my life that I deem absolutely necessary for my daughter to experience. And so when you brought this idea up, I thought that was a way for me to show her what I experienced from Big Mom. You know, I get to share a little bit of Big Mama with her. And so that's why I have the courage to go ahead and do this right now.
1: Coming home to make Big Mom's Pie with my sister illuminated for me that I never lost who I was. I was just in a stage of evolution, growth, and change. Being home in Mississippi... I saw myself and my family. While I was home, I rode four wheelers over our hay fields, around my church, and down to the Noxby River nearby. When I worked out in Sugarlock, I ran past my Big Mom's house each day, and I made sure to stop there at her front porch and just breathe and reminisce. Making this dish reminded me of how special I am, how unique I am, that I am a rarity. A couple of days after making the pie, it was time for me to go back to Boston. It was time yet again to leave my family and return to the place that was so far away from here, from home. But this time, it felt different. I felt whole, and I felt at peace. I realized that no matter where I am or what I'm doing, the love and fierceness that resided within Big Ma is always within me. And the love and connection to my family is so deeply embedded in my DNA that I couldn't shake it off if I wanted to. I know now more than ever that I am Mississippi. I am Big Ma's blackberry pie. I felt like me, like Buck, like Terrence, like TJ. And that pie, my sister sums it up best.
5: It's going to make you feel warm. It's like wrapping your arms around the person you love.
0: Okay, real talk. You hear my voice a lot on this show, but this is Yumi Araki's show. She's Proof's managing producer, and she's responsible for the show you hear every week, full stop. If you laugh in one of my dad jokes, if you feel a tingle on the back of your neck because of a dramatic scene, if you listen all the way through an episode, that's all Yumi. So thanks, Yumi. And here she is telling us about a meal from her past, but in the present day.
2: I'm walking around the plaza of Chofu train station in western Tokyo with my mom. I'm visiting her and my grandma in Japan after a two-year COVID hiatus. Because the borders are still tight, the lack of gaijin or foreigners in sight is noticeable. My ears hear their absence, too. There's no sound of English, Bengali, or Mandarin being spoken. Instead, there's just the sound of Japanese and silent jostling. This silent jostling, along with other sounds from the plaza, make me feel like I've been transported back to the late 80s and early 90s. Even here in Japan, Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill has declared itself the song of the summer. I hear the clink of a coin dropped into a blue and yellow donation box with a sign that reads, Support Ukraine. Political campaigners have set up shop in the plaza with megaphones. The upper house elections are coming up in a few weeks, and the candidates are making their latest appeals to the uninterested crowd. The sense of uncertainty about our world isn't quite like I imagined it was during the Cold War, but it's hard to deny the similarities. All of this brings on a strange sense of deja vu and nostalgia, but most of all, it's got me craving my favorite dishes from a restaurant I used to go to a lot with my family. I think it's nearby. I wonder if it's still there. Growing up, my family often put their worst foot forward. We lived with my grandparents, and while I loved them and they loved me, they, and especially my granddad, had an acrimonious relationship with my mom. My mom is a single parent, which was never looked upon kindly in Japanese society. So you can imagine the complicated dance of resentment and a desire to be protective when my granddad and her fought. Insults were thrown across the dining room table. And not nice ones. But about once a month, my granddad would take us out to dinner at Yuan, which serves classic Chinese cuisine with a Japanese twist. Whenever we went, we were out in public, so we put our best foot forward. My granddad would always reserve a seat at the back of the restaurant, where there was a table with a lazy Susan in the middle. It made me feel uncomfortable that he acted like he owned the place. But we were regulars, and the staff showed an admirable amount of patience and special attention to our orders. At Yueng, my family and I sat around the lazy Susan face-to-face. It wasn't always 100% civil. But it was nice to feel like we could be good to each other for a while. As my mom and I walked home from Chofu Station, I tell her, I want to eat at Yuen. We reminisce about our go-to dishes. Gomoki soba like mm. the, the crunchy noodles. Yeah, that
7: is my favorite.
2: Why did you like the Gomoki soba
7: Because I like the um, crunchy noodles. Mm. And, um, what do you think? The sauce? Yeah, the uh, nice
2: combination. Yeah, I think I remember really liking the sauce as well. Mm. It was very good. Mm. We also had ebichiri, right? Yeah. I especially remember the sweet and sour chili shrimp. The shrimp was bouncy and crisp to the bite, like shrimp is when it's cooked just the right way. And the sauce was garlicky, tangy, and a little ketchup-y, if I remember correctly. Just the perfect thing to go with a plate of white rice. Whenever we would order it at Yueng, my granddad would make sure I got the biggest pieces of shrimp. I don't remember my mom and him disagreeing on that point. We stopped going to Yueng after my granddad died in 2015. There were other restaurants my grandma and mom wanted to go to, and Yueng eventually became a thing of the past. I didn't know this, but apparently the hiatus was also brought on by an experience my mom had when she went back there for my granddad's wake. She told me the chefs had changed and that the food wasn't as good. Like the sweet and sour pork my grandma always used to get, just meatball. Nani, <laughs> kore? Yeah, that's so disappointed. Disappointing because we remembered the sweet and sour pork being made from proper cuts of pork instead of meatballs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dish wasn't what it said it was, my mom grumbled. And that's why she stopped going to Yuan. So she was pretty down on the idea of going back. She'd been burned before and probably wanted to shield me from disappointment. But I told her I'm willing to take a chance. Sweet and sour meatball pork be damned. (laughs) It's lunchtime on a Saturday, and my mom and I walk into the elevator of a building that's next to Chofu Station. I press 8, and my mom is surprised that I remember what floor Yuen is on. As the elevator made its way up, I ask my mom whether she thinks the interior of the place has changed. She says she has no idea since she hasn't been back since that last time five or six years ago. It's actually more like seven or eight years, but who's counting? The doors open. The displays look the same. The plastic models of fried rice, noodle soups, and dumplings in the display case look like they always have. A bit mattified, but fairly realistic. So far, so good. No glaring differences, the entrance is still preserved in time. As we walk further inside, we're surprised that it's actually pretty crowded. There are about 10 other parties in this lunch rush. We sit at a table near the front register, which is right across from the back kitchen. We look at the menu.
7: Well, we should try, um,
2: <laughs> My mom asks whether I want to order the sweet and sour pork. Well, if it's not good, then that's not that's nice, so. I hesitated. If it's not good, it would only go to waste, I said. But what I was really getting at here was I was kind of scared to order it. What if meatballs arrived? Okay. Uh, (inaudible) (inaudible) Okay. We ended up ordering just the shrimp chili sauce and the crispy noodles. The basics, (inaudible) the classics. As we waited for our order, my eyes shifted from the menu to the restaurant. The interior is just as I remembered. Regular tables in the front, tables with Lazy Susans in the back. The faded ivory wallpaper feels like it's the same stuff from when I was a kid. Our first order arrived. All right, so the um, noodles are here. It uh, has this glossy sauce to it and has shrimp. Wood's ear, mushrooms. My mom asks for two plates. My sweet and sour shrimp is also here. Mm-hmm. All right, now's the time. We start with the crispy noodles. Mm. Got mom's seal of approval. Mm. The night? She says it hasn't changed. Right, this is good. Yeah, my favorite thing to do is to, like, leave the crispy noodles in the sauce for a bit. <laughs> Make the noodles a little bit soft. So there's, like, a combination of a good crunch and softness. Mmm, Yeah, It's kind of exactly how I remember it. And the sweet and sour chili shrimp? All right, so the... Sweetens our shrimp also comes with this really good sauce. It's like orange, has bits of onion, garlic in it. Have it with white rice. Mmm! <laughs>
7: <laughs> so good.
2: My mom wondered whether it must have been a fluke that last time when the food wasn't good. I think it had something to do with the fact that it was under stressful circumstances. After the wake, corralling a bunch of other relatives and in a world without my granddad. As we scrape the last morsels off our plate, I feel full, satiated, content. I can hear the faint echoes of political campaigners in the plaza below with their megaphones. They're making promises for a more secure and predictable future. I don't know much about these candidates, but I'm not convinced by any promise they have to offer. History seems to repeat itself, which can be disappointing, ennui-inducing even. But the repetition isn't always bad. I can take solace in the fact that nostalgic meals can be recreated, too. I think my mom thought so as well. We should have been risk-takers and ordered that sweet and sour pork, my mom says. And that made me laugh. There's always next time.
0: If you like Proof, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. This episode of Proof is hosted by me, Kevin Pang, and the podcast is made by the following cast of characters.
2: I'm Yumi Araki, the managing producer. I'm executive producer Caitlin Kelleher.
1: I'm Terrence Johnson, and I'm the associate producer.
2: I'm Alex
3: Curran-Cartarelli, and I'm also an associate producer. I'm Vanessa Bartlett, and I'm the production
2: intern... I'm Bridget Lancaster, creator and the founding host and producer.
0: Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Poynton, Chester Gwazda, and Anya Gjeshik of Ultraviolet Audio. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds Composer Theme Music, additional music by Kyle Forster and Jordan Pearson.
4: And
7: Margolis
0: is our director of post-production, and our director of production is Diane Knox. Fact-checking and additional research by
7: Angela Yang.
0: Special thanks to all of our producers' families for eating with them for this episode. Jack Bishop is the Chief Creative Officer of America's Test Kitchen and David Nussbaum is America's Test Kitchen's CEO. Thanks to our sponsors, Kohler, OXO, Sana, Sengoku, and Veroni. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen. Before we go, just one more thing. Did you know you can help develop recipes for America's Test Kitchen? It's true. We have nearly 45,000 home testers who try out and give us feedback on new ATK recipes before they're published. And this isn't just for adults. Young chefs can take part in developing recipes for our ATK Kids program. Want to be part of the ATK family? Go to americastestkitchen.com slash recipe underscore testing. Once again, that's americastestkitchen.com slash recipe underscore testing to sign up.